welcome to the Savage Beast podcast, uh, a weekly podcast about music uh, with your hosts, uh, me, Joe Gallagher, and Paul McLeod. Yo, this is Paul. Yo. Paul, what what song was that that we just <laughs> led in with? That was uh, This Means War by Petra, which was, uh, I think it came out in 87. Is it a heavy metal uh the heavy metal tale of Satan rebelling against God. Yeah, except that, I would say it's more just hard rock, but maybe you okay, could say heavy metal. Hard rock. Yeah. Hair metal is a little hair metal. Yes. And not not quite as much hair metal as Striper, though. Yeah. Striper is legit hair metal. Um, yeah. So the topic this week is um, Christian rock. Yes. And our. Uh, we're so lucky to have Paul on the podcast. He is an expert on Christian rock yeah. and has been for many decades. <laughs> uh, he was trained uh, as a little, as a young boy to uh, be um, some some kind of uh, savant of Christian rock. <laughs> I thought you were going to say some kind of zombie, which would have been the perfect tie-in with some of the later tracks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that may that we we will get to that. Yeah, we will get to that. Yeah. So, um, should wait, I, I? I should say that Paul for this for this podcast, Paul sent me a playlist of his favorite Christian rock tracks uh, from his youth. I wouldn't uh, say favorite, although I did like all of these. <laughs> yes, but, they are all ones that at one time you liked. Yeah, right. That's you, true. you 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 have listened to each of these um, fifteen songs. Uh, 13 songs and at one time had been like yes i this, i'm rocking out to dc talk right now oh, oh yes yes totally <laughs> so um yeah so basically i was raised in an evangelical household and uh my my dad especially had a complicated relationship to music in that he grew up you know he was born in the 50s and uh grew up in a thoroughly non-religious uh household um and uh oh man my microphone is screwing up again um hopefully that doesn't keep happening um anyway um he um grew up in southern california in the 60s and 70s and listened to all of the devil's music yes there's a lot of good music to listen to at yeah that juncture all of it made by the devil and yes um, oh my gosh yes <laughs> Um, much of it with the devil literally speaking backwards on it. Um, yes. But, um, anyway, so eventually he, uh, he got saved and, uh, he gave up his extensive hard rock collection, um, of what would now be totally sweet vinyl. Um, but, uh, so then, um, when I was growing up, it was mostly Christian music in the house on the nascent CD platform. Um, so let's, let, let's start there. What age yeah. um, were you when you first started listening to? <sighs> yeah. I mean, Chris, I can't recall the exact first age, but definitely in elementary school, I, I dug that particular album we were just listening to, which came out in 87. So I would have been six. Got it. Uh, or even five. Cause I was born late in 81. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, so Christians have a big complex about appearing to be wusses. 
Um, because, you know, especially a generation or two ago, uh, they were like the, or maybe even a century or two ago, they were the, the pacifists of society, the really hardcore yes. committed Christians. Yes. And with the modern evangelical movement, there's a lot more like, we got to inject some good old American manliness into it. So Yes, testosterone. So a song called This Means War about God fighting the devil um, over hard rock. Uh, propulsive hard rock is uh is uh really covering up for a lot of insecurities there and um yeah so that was definitely the first one i can remember is that particular uh, album by petra and and so you would say that you that was that the only music that you really had regular i mean you weren't isolated from society so obviously you heard lots of music but this was the music the only music that you had in your house to listen to yeah but i mean i I was kind of isolated from society i mean we we lived you know i went to school and shit but it was a private christian school and i wasn't watching that's true that many movies and we didn't really have cable for most of my childhood so i actually had and we lived in the country so i had actually fairly limited exposure to secular music until middle school, really. Um, and this, so in elementary school, you lived on a ranch in Arizona. No, that was in middle no. school. I lived on okay. a ranch middle in Colorado school. in elementary school. Okay, okay. <laughs> so you were. So you, I mean, I guess you could say that. I mean, if we we could go back and say that now, I mean, you have expansive and excellent taste in music. Oh, if, um, if you do the, say so, I'll, I'll take. Yeah. That. Well, yes, and. <laughs> Um, um, and that is what I, what I'm interested in is that, that, that began somewhere in this Christian rock music. So, so yeah. So we started out with, with Petra there and yes, that I, I can go into a whole spiel on Petra, but I won't start that way because they're actually, (laughs) I was reading their Wikipedia page and they're pretty interesting band history. Um, Anyway, so wait, I want to know what's the what's the highlight? Like, oh, okay. What? So, first of all, and we'll get into this a little bit with Steve Taylor too. But what was going on in the '80s when Petra had their heyday is that Christians were that was really when sort of Christian rock first started to flower. And right, because before that, rock itself was evil. Yeah, I exactly. mean, not unchristian, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and so these guys had major headwinds from within Christian community, as we would phrase it now. I doubt they would have called themselves that. Um to that that what they were doing is evil. Um and that there was just no way that rock and roll music could be could serve the ends of the Lord. Um I remember in high school wow. my, my parents sent me to uh uh a thing happening at an evangelical church near us, not my father's. My father is an Episcopal priest, I should add, for the listeners. Um, <laughs> Crucial uh, detail. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they sent me to this thing at another church nearby, the, the one of the big mega churches there in Orlando, um, where it was a Bill Gothard training seminar. And Bill Gothard is this super fundamentalist, psycho-Baptist guy. Mm. Um, and... So it's like this week-long seminar thing where you've got an auditorium full of people all sitting there 
uh, watching videos of this guy Bill Gothard because he's not there. It's his. It's oh my god. It's like watching his DVD series, and then like you're filling out your little fucking workbook that you get with the seminar, filled with all the wisdom that is already on the pre-recorded video. Um, so you're being lectured by a video and taking notes into a notebook that already sort of guides you towards the notes you're supposed to take. Um, <laughs> and anyway, yeah. One, he's, he had one segment where he talked about music. And uh, so his theory is that uh, there are three elements to music. Uh, there is melody, there's harmony, and there is uh, rhythm, okay? And okay. melody is uh, the purest uh, form of music. And that is, that is like God, that represents, that corresponds to God and the divine will in a, in a sort of literal way, you would have to say, based on what his view is of music. Okay, okay. Harmony represents like the human spirit, which needs to be, to work uh, along with God, to be uh, in tune, if you will, with the melody yes. of the divine. And then the rhythm, which as anybody knows who's ever danced, that represents the body or corresponds to the body. And if you, another major tenet of you know, evangelical Christianity is that the flesh is wicked and evil. Um, and matter is generally to be transcended. So, so rhythm here is the devil. Yeah. It is, is certainly at least corrupt fallen nature. Wow. Yeah. Thus, wow. thus beat heavy music. And in particular rock music with its backbeat, the emphasis on the second and fourth beats of the four beat measure mm. is that's, that's where the devil gets inherently demonic wow, <laughs> and cannot be redeemed by a patina of you know scripture in the lyrics um the fundamental backbone of rock music like we just listened to from petra uh just draws one into satan's loving arms um so yeah wow yeah um and this is you know again still going around in the late 90s people are still replaying this stuff for me um and do you have any idea if this is 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 this at all current? I mean, is this? I think uh, certainly there are crazy people who still believe all this stuff. Um, right. But I think it's largely gone by the wayside. I mean, the praise band nowadays uh, that is sort of the the main music battery music engine in every megachurch is playing backbeats and at least soft rock, you know? Got um, it, yeah. So there's really... I mean, I, I know I've met, uh, you know, uh, other evangelical friends who, uh, you know, they're one, like his girlfriend was in the rock band at their church. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and certainly that seems to be the... And they certainly seem to have embraced it in a lot of, um, like the, the. Hold on, your your mic is. Yeah. Go keep talking. Well, or maybe we'll just have to cut this part out. Yeah, I think we'll have to. Okay, I fixed it for now. Okay. Well, it's and I think that the. Um, oops, sorry. I, I should say that the, I think you know the. The, you know the the Hillsong Church, which has been getting all that press. I think mm -hmm. that rock music is um, involved heavily in that. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Which uh, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry attend. 
Oh, do they? Uh, yes, um, when they can. Um, I knew I knew uh, Steph was all born again. I didn't know about Kevin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, um, try not to let too much of our NBA sensitivity I know. bleed into this. <laughs> um, also, I don't. I I can't claim to be an expert on NBA players' exact uh, religious beliefs. Yeah. Beliefs. So. Um, only when it affects their free agency decisions. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so, yeah, let's get to, let's get back to, to music. Yeah. To music. So, all right. So five or six year old Paul is listening to Petra. Yeah. Petra. Yeah. Petra. Which of course means um, rock in German or in Greek. Uh, oh, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so the next, the next track on your list was by this artist named Steve Taylor. Yeah. And I actually found it to be this fantastic little slice of eighties synth pop. Yeah. That I, I really, I was into it and I, I didn't really get much Christian out of it, but I assume that that message is in it somewhere. So what? Yeah. Who is Steve Taylor? Um, yeah. And what is this song? Okay. So Steve Taylor. Uh, yeah. Steve Taylor is, um, so he was the other guy my dad had a couple albums from when I was real young. Um, and he is the solo artist guy who sort of became like the, uh, maybe along with Petra, but really he had more influence, I think, later on um, in that uh, he had this solo career as sort of a pop rockish uh, and pretty versatile uh, musician in the 80s. And um, I think he's actually a really excellent songwriter with some pretty clever lyrics. Um, but um, then in the 90s, he went on to run a label and be a producer and stuff. And I know he produced uh, Sixpence None the Richer's Kiss Me, which was one of the bigger Christian crossover mainstream hits. Yes. Um, uh, he may have even had a hand in writing it, but I don't recall for sure. Anyway, um, so he was around for a while, but he, uh, he has a couple albums that my dad had um, that uh, this was off of the earlier of the two, which was called <laughs> Meltdown at Madame Tussauds. The, uh, the metaphor there being <laughs> that uh, the, uh, the air conditioning system in Madame Tussauds goes haywire. It gets too hot and all the celebrity statues melt, um, thus uh, signifying this sort of... Uh, uh, fleeting nature of uh, secular fame, and um, the wow, yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty funny That's song. That's hardcore. Yeah, it's a pretty and funny awesome. song actually. Um, anyway, so this track actually comes right after it on that album, and uh, the Christian theme in this song is uh, mostly just. Uh, so this is a big thing in Christian philosophy nowadays. Is uh, the song the song is "Am I in sync?" Yes, "Am I in sync?" Should yeah. I play part of it yeah. or should we? Yeah, all right. Yeah, let's hear it. It's it's yeah. Since you like this, cool. One, we'll do this. Synthesizer rock room 
right. this is that that is that is excellent. I mean, <laughs> there is I, I really felt the devil in me while you were playing that. <laughs> yeah, I'm do some David Bird head bobs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, uh, oh my gosh, my microphone is too high now. Um, anyway, so um, most of his other music is not that synth poppy. Um, it's more a lot of it is more like Huey Lewis and the Newsy, I would say. Um, but uh, right. It's um, it's all. He's got a lot of really good songs, and a lot of them are more explicitly Christian than that. But I've always dug that one, and honestly, still to this day, I get a lot of his songs stuck in my head all the time, even though I don't really listen to them that much anymore. Interesting. Um, yeah, so he's really good, and and do you think and that do you think that that sort of music, or that his music in particular, affected your taste in music later? You know, I kind of actually reacted against it in high school, I would say, in that, you know, I went more for the raw, aggressive, alternative rock sound that, um, you know, there, there are a lot of things in, St- in Steve Taylor's music, but punk is not really one of them. Um, so I Yes, w- that was not very grungy. <laughs> no. Although, I mean, you, you could say that that was, I mean, you were a child of the 90s and we were all seeking out something that sounded very different from Phil Collins and Paula Abdul. Absolutely. And looking for, you know, that's how we came out, came to grunge and alternative rock and Absolutely. But I would say it's actually I would probably like it now more than I did in high school. Um right. that Steve Taylor stuff for that reason basically. Um all right, well not to get too caught up in that. <laughs> right. Um uh well, so y- I, I say so the next the next song on this is when I was you know I, I I was waiting for one of these songs to be truly awful and um, DC talk did not disappoint in fact I was surprised I was shocked at how bad this song was so I was mean, I they are an awful band and I I think I've I thought that they you know, I enjoyed the um, uh, the Jars of Clay yeah. song that was popular in the 90s. Um, you know, a couple of their songs. I was like, I thought DC Talk was like in their league. Yeah. And I was just completely wrong. There are no musical merits to this band at <laughs> all. Like they have no. Yeah. Uh, um, it's, it's like the worst boy band I've ever heard. <laughs> That's certainly a good description of this track, which is Jesus is Just All Right, their uh, take on the Doobie Brothers hit. Um, and, uh, yeah, so so DC Talk, uh, was it was unavoidable that I was going to end up listening to them a lot based on my age and my Christian background, insofar as um, they were... The reason you think of them in, in terms of uh, along the same lines of Jars of Clay is that they were similarly popular and commercially successful on, you know, in Christian circles. Um, DC Talk never had as big of a crossover hit as uh, that one Lift Me Up song. Um, but I never actually owned a Jars of Clay CD. Um, anyway, DC Talk, it was like uh, I got into them after this, their third album, uh, which was um, uh, Free at Last. And that was sort of their big pop rap album. Before that, they were slightly more respectable rap. 
uh, in, right. in a late 80s, early 90s mode. Um, and then on this one, it's more like, like you said, it's just boy band pop with a, one guy who raps badly. Right. Um, and this is and 19, this pr- 1992. Yeah. And this particular track, uh, Jesus is just all right. I was amazed when I went back and put this place together at how bad it was. I was just like, oh God. Like it's this really crappy 90s dance beat thing uh, that does not mesh very well with the uh, 70s rock uh, song they put on top of it and then mixing it with boy band singing and rapping. I I always remember this one though because at the end, you know, uh, I don't know if you recall, there's a bit where he, Toby, the rapper, uh, Toby Mack, <laughs> goes into Mac. uh, an extended rap verse where he's just... Uh, uh, it's the same rhythm over and over again. It's like, I am down with the one that is known as the Sun Bat Rhythm. Um, yes. And that... How could that, I forget? <laughs> that verse blew my mind as a kid, and I practiced it until I could do it. And I can still do that verse off the top of my head at any time. Um, uh, and now just listening to it, I'm like, oh, my God, why? <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. Um all right, so I mean, is this more? Is that more? I mean, any more or less embarrassing than being able to rap all of Ice Ice Baby still mm, from memory? Like, I, I'm not sure that they're Ice Ice Baby is a much better song by a much better. Rapper. That's true. That's true. This really does make Ice Ice Baby look like, um, you know, a, a classic. <laughs> yeah. Of hip hop. So the other interesting thing about DC Talk is. Uh, the song that I included off their next album, Jesus Freak, the title track from that album, which is that album came out in 95 or six. Uh And there they had been like, oh, we released Free at Last in 92, right when that sort of shitty pop was getting blown up by alternative rock. Now alternative rock is dying. So let's do our alternative rock album. Um uh, or at Which least, is what I kind of remember them as, I think, in my like briefest of encounters with their music. Oh, yeah. So with this track, you get... Um, actually, let's play this one just for fun. All right. High school. That means I knew you when you liked that song. Oh, totally, man. Um, I had bad uh, taste for the first two or three years of our friendship, and you may not know this. Um, but uh, yeah, I probably just did. I probably just just put that. I I, I probably just figured that you were uh, you liked all these bands ironically. No, um, I had a, <laughs> I listened to a lot of conversations between like you and Greg about the Smashing Pumpkins without really knowing anything about what you were talking about. <laughs> um, oh, but you were listening quite 
quite cl- carefully. I guess so. You absorb that information. You absorb the information. Yeah. Anyway, so that song is interesting just because that's the sort of crumbs you end up uh, just greedily grasping up when you're a kid who can only listen to or at least own Christian rock in that um, it's like, oh, this sweet canned alternative riff. It really rocks compared to uh, all the other garbage that like Twilight Paris that my mom puts on. So, um, yeah, that song. And yeah, I can, <laughs> I can imagine that just, it, that makes a lot of sense that yeah. you, it, it's just, it, that was a decent. Yeah. That song is way riff, better than the, the other riff. one. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, the rap, the rapping is still like a limp biscuit <laughs> outtake. It's, it predates limp biscuit and is, is I know. arguably worse. Um, all right. Um, so yeah, it, what's interesting about that is that part of why I like that so much is I did start to get into secular music in middle school. My parents got me a yellow Walkman uh, radio uh, thing that I would listen to at night in bed alone. Um, uh, pretty much every night, I would listen to the local uh, 98 KUPD in Arizona uh, rock station, which at the time, you know, uh, your standard rock format, cleared channel station, had a pretty decent amount of music that I liked and probably going back would still think was all right. I mean, I heard, you know, counting blue cars by Dishwalla a good, a goodly yeah. number of times and, uh, smashing probably pumpkins. like Alice. Yeah. Pearl jam and Alice in chains yeah. and all that. Yeah. I, I specifically remember loving Ozzy Osbourne's solo material on that station, so it wasn't totally out of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> music wow, what a, what a good antidote to much <laughs> of this music. Couldn't ask for something more directly opposed. He had a song on the radio then about fucking Perry Mason. Like, the chorus is him going, Perry Mason. And it's like, why was <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne singing about? this tv detective but anyway it's fantastic (laughs) Um, so at what point at what point did you stop liking this music okay where where was the break from it all right so i'm glad you asked so what happened was um you know i started to get into secular music um particularly, you know, listening to the, to those songs on the radio. And then Gangsta's Paradise was another seminal moment. I mean, oh yeah, that song just uh, absolutely was the greatest thing I had ever heard in my life. Um, and that's, I, I mean, we just, if we take a moment, that song, I mean, we were in uh, eighth grade. Yeah, it was before, ninth grade. It was ninth grade. It was before we knew each other. Uh, it was in eighth, seventh or eighth grade that that song came out. Oh yeah, eighth grade, eighth grade, yes. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I actually remember I we went on a trip uh, at uh, our middle school before you were there, Paul. Where I was the only person on the bus who actually had the CD, and like everyone on the bus like passed that CD around and listened to it once. That's awesome because that song had such a magical effect on everyone because it was like so good. It's, it was the perfect time for people our age. Yeah, I think for people in a five year span. Uh, around our birth date that's probably like the seminal song of their youth um yeah i remember i would listen to the radio every single night for like three or four months until they played that song and then i would turn the radio off um yes yes (laughs) i'm sure i i'm sure that i did something similar on mtv yeah so anyway um 
I sort of surreptitiously started to get more and more into regular rock music. And one of the big moments was at uh, one of these Christian camps I went to. It might have even been a Fellowship of Christian Athletes summer camp. It was, no, maybe it was just for a youth group. Anyway, it was a quick retreat. And the last night they had like a dance that was basically like your prom homecoming type dance, except people were a little younger. It was middle school. And I had never been to such an event before. So it was like, wait, I can just walk up to women and be like, do you want to dance? And they will, uh, I would later find out out of pity, rub their bodies up against me for three minutes. <laughs> this is fantastic. Wow, um, they were allowing body rubbing at this dance. Well, yeah, there was, there was definitely no policing of the room for the Holy Spirit. Oh, anyway, nice. they were also playing secular music, including Self-Esteem by The Offspring, which... Holy shit. Immediately blew my f- fucking mind. Like, I thought that was the greatest song I had ever heard in my life. Uh, so you're the DJ at this youth, <laughs> youth camp was, Christian youth camp was definitely being a bad boy. Well, I mean, that's... A- <laughs> I think we can posit that the backbeat probably colonized his mind and was controlling his actions. Um, yes, yes, yeah. He, he, he couldn't help it. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that song was... Uh, blew my mind. I loved that song. So, you know, I sort of got into all this a little bit after the first wave of grunge on the radio and everything. So I didn't really have uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit to compare this to. But, you know, self-esteem is the classic uh, quiet chorus or quiet verse, loud chorus, uh, yeah, alternative the rock dynamics, song. Yeah, the dynamics of the classic alt-rock. Yeah, that... Um, yeah. So anyway, I loved that song and I I managed to buy that album Smash that, that was off of. That was definitely my favorite album for a while. Um and I collected some other Offspring CDs and some other stuff. I don't know. Not particularly good music. I remember having a conversation with one of our other friends about how the Smashing Pumpkins were his favorite band. This is Jesse, so you know. Um yes. And the offspring were mine and he's like well i like the offspring but they kind of just do one thing and i was like hmm um (laughs) anyway so then when we were sophomores in high school i got busted with porn by my parents um yeah what what kind of porn did you have this is just like emmet was it jpegs no it is uh we it was oh i remember (laughs) oh i remember (laughs) it was printed out hentai porn uh, yes. fan fiction of like Ranma and stuff that uh, one of our other friends introduced me to. And then, you know, this was, so just so people remember in 1996, the, the means of excavating porn from the digital ether were not so well practiced as they are now. Um, nor was it quite so readily available. So if your yeah, friend, it was t- hard. You, had to, yeah. you had to like really seek it out. Yeah, and so if your friend is like, yo, you can go to this website and read stories about uh, cartoon characters boning, like, that's pretty good porn if you've got a good trove of it for 1996. So uh, so I would take these huge, long, in retrospect, insanely long uh, slash fanfics written about uh, anime shows that I had never seen and still to this day haven't. <laughs> and I would copy them. This is like, this is like me reading like 
like scandal fanfic now, <laughs> having never seen like an episode of the show or something like exactly. that. Exactly. I, I, exactly. So I would take these and I would copy them, paste them into a Microsoft Works document. This is before we even had Word. Um, oh, wow, Works. Yeah. And then reduce the font size down to like six um, so I could print all this shit on as few pieces of paper as possible. Um, <laughs> And uh, I have good eyesight, so that wasn't a problem. Um, anyway, eventually, of course, the stash got found. It was a big crisis, um, especially, I mean, it's pretty fucking sick shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, my mom, of course, lost her mind. My dad was a little more understanding, but uh, obviously couldn't be seen to condone this sort of behavior. So right. um, they sent me over Christmas break of our sophomore year of high school. Um, so this would have been 97 to, uh, a youth retreat Christian thing with, uh, the youth group of a church next door to us. Cause my dad basically was like, well, the youth group at my church sucks because we don't have many young people and the infrastructure just isn't there. So go to this cool youth group with lots of people. Um, so I went to them thing and they're like, I had a severe conversion experience um, I remembered that part, the part I had forgotten. So like, you know, did an altar call, laid all my sins, uh, at the feet of Jesus and, um, felt, felt the true redeeming power of God's love for a good three days there in ways that are nice. really, really, uh, interesting to have experienced. Um, at the time I was absolutely convinced, sorry, I just hit the microphone. I was absolutely convinced that that was uh, proof of God's existence and my, uh, my perfect communion with him. Anyway, so one of the things I was uh, convinced of is that, you know, as my father had been before me, I was going to have to uh, give up my, my devil Christian, my devil rock music in order to fully de- right. devote myself to the Lord. So I had forgotten this particular detail, but I actually sat in a bathroom stall at that conference, sort of sobbing to myself and working up the gumption to break my offspring CDs, which I had spent like, you know, the $30 that were all the money I had ever earned in my life on at to that point. Right. Um, right. And uh, yeah, I had forgotten this particular scene, but I believe I sat there sort of sobbed and, and eventually gave the music up to Jesus, broke the CDs in half, threw them away and sort of uh, went on. So um, yeah, I came back from that retreat um, have you have you ever have you ever symbolically just gone and bought all the Offspring CDs <laughs> again, even though you like no longer have a CD player or like need CDs? No. By the time I started buying Devil Music a couple years later again, um, the Offspring I had moved beyond my Offspring phase. Oh, and, okay. And, okay. And you know I was still budget limited. It's not like today I right. could be like, oh, I'll go find Smash for five dollars used. That's sure. what I meant today. <laughs> like you just go, you just buy like the you know beautiful reissue of Smash <laughs> for twenty dollars. I'll mail it to my mom. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I came out of that um, and really was uh, stuck with Christian music for a couple of years because I was uh, or maybe. It didn't end up being two years, but for a little bit, because um, I was, you know, really uh, uh, convinced I had to do everything to to live in accordance with the Lord's will. Uh, you should know I was severely conflicted about how I was going to continue being friends with the likes of you. Um, 
whether I could, you know, it crossed my mind, like, could I convert them? Uh, <laughs> seems doubtful. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't try. <laughs> well, I tried to lead to witness by example. I don't think it worked. Um, it, it did not. <laughs> anyway, my, you know, so it was a slow process of, um, of readopting all my vices, like saying bad words and listening to, to Satan's music. Um, but so when I got back into music, it was stuff like uh, Weezer and the Smashing Pumpkins, and the rest is history. Um, but well, but so yeah, should we get should we get back to the yeah. the playlist? So in the meantime, at this point, yeah, I got into uh, sort of mid '90s Christian rock, which was there was actually kind of a lot of stuff going on by that point. Um, so uh, probably the biggest one that was most popular that I liked the most anyway was uh, Five Iron Frenzy, which was a Christian ska band. Um, this was the heyday of ska generally. Oh, yes. Um, and I actually think as, as, at least as far as ska bands go, they hold up all right. Like I listen to them now and I'm like, well, this is as good as the Mighty Mighty Boston's or anything like that. Um, and they were actually funny. Uh, I didn't really dive deep into their catalog to try to find the perfect song to put on this playlist. So I just found one of them that was okay. Um, but they have a cover of, uh, ELO's, uh, uh, sweet talking woman or hold on or whatever the actual name of that song is. That is actually the version of that song that is, gets stuck in my head all the time. Um, nice. Yeah. So they were, they were around, uh, they were the OC Supertones, were another ska band um, whom I saw. I never saw Five Iron Frenzy, but I did see the OC Supertones. Um, and um, uh, what else was going on? Yeah, so then the, probably the band I liked the most, though, was uh, Skillet. Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that song, if you, if you had any. Well, I, you know, I... I Let's listen to it again. Dude, let's okay. listen to the song you got in here. Okay, here we go. That's I. I mean, I think at that time in the '90s, I certainly in high school would have just liked that song. Yeah, it's sort of bushy. Yeah, I mean, I would have I would have bought the CD and listened to the, to like my favorite song on it. Yeah, as I did, and that is definitely the best song. There were a couple other good ones that I still remember, um, but I actually saw those guys at like a with like 15 people at a band uh clamshell thing uh, by the side of some downtown orlando lake um oh yeah lake eola yeah yeah the band shell there it's a cool yeah that's cool it's a good spot to see a band in the middle of the day when i was the only person jumping around going crazy to their hard rock stylings (laughs) i'm Um, sure they still appreciate that yeah i mean the lead singer got into it so much that he uh actually smashed the neck of his bass on the ground while jumping around and broke it um nice yeah Anyway, um, so, by the way, their next album after this, which was much more electronic, was called Hey You, I Love Your Soul, 
which I think, <laughs> speaking of Luton Biscuit, has to go up there with uh, Chocolate Starfish and Hot Dog Flavored Water as one of the worst album names of all time. Um, but um, yeah, so there there was sort of a lot of stuff going on in the mid-90s with Christian bands doing like their impression of um, of mainstream music stuff. And some of them were actually pretty good like that, I would say. Um, at least, you know, reasonable facsimiles, I would say. Uh, listening to that song now, it's a little overwrought, but... Uh... Yes, but so are many of the songs that we enjoyed at that period, or that from that period of time. Exactly. Were, you know... Yeah, like Seven Mary Seven. Three was another yeah similar type that of thing I was really into. Perfect example. My, my uh, stomach. Anyway, um, nobody wants to hear me sing. <laughs> nope, nope. No one wants to hear Seven Mary Three <laughs> sing Seven Mary Three songs. Uh, they definitely don't want to hear you sing them. Yeah. All right. So, um, we're, well, there's this we're, other band on here call that uh, Morella's Forest. Yes. And I, I think these two tracks were my favorite because they were just fantastic 90s indie rock. Absolutely. Band. And so this band is interesting in that. Um, so the first track that I put on there is from their second album. The last track. That I, and that, that track is Candy Necklace Kind of Love. Yes. From their, I think that might be the name of the album too. No, the Ultrafonic album Ultraphonic Hiss. Hiss. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's their second album and that whole album is, is fucking excellent. Like I still listen to it. It's good. I would describe it as like a bubblegum pop crossed with my bloody Valentine sort of, um, uh, to the point that when I eventually listened to my bloody Valentine years later, I was like, where have I heard these guitar sounds before? And I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. Morella's force was ripping them off. That's what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but they, they do, their songwriting is very different from my bloody Valentine, um, much shorter and poppier. Um, anyway, so I'll play that song right now. Cause I like that one a lot. Okay. Yeah, so hold on. That that brings a well. If you want to s- tell us a little more about that band, yeah, just a little bit. Um, so their album, their third album, was actually the first one I got, and it's not as good. But then I went back and I got this album, and then the first one that that Stargazer song comes from, and they're both really good albums. Uh, it's very hard in this case to find any Christian even themes in the lyrics. They're mostly like, uh, I did some stuff today. Um, the, the lead singer, she doesn't even bother to rhyme most of the time. Um, 
but always a good sign. Yeah, she she adds just a nice sort of just a sonic accoutrement to the mix um, with her voice, and uh, I don't know. I really love that that album, and the first one is really good too. Um, they were on a Christian label, that, so they're Christian. Uh, there you go. That's all you need. Yeah. I mean, I think that brings us to the point that, uh, you know, is obvious to most who observe Christian music and that it, if something is marketing itself as explicitly Christian, that's because it's not good enough to be marketed as good music. Frequently almost. the case, yes. Because you do have somebody I mean, like Sufjan. Yeah, Sufjan and uh, Pedro the Lion are the two that, you know, come to my mind immediately. And there are uh, many more uh, in that list who are popular. And even, I mean, Sufjan is, you know, his his lyrics are uh, possibly the most Christian lyrics. I've more Christian than most of the songs on this playlist at points. And yet it's not what... It brings some people to his music, I'm sure, but it's not like what has brought him. Yeah, no, he's good enough to popular. to just yeah. be popular. <laughs> um, yeah. One other before we, I think you're totally right about all that. It is interesting just uh, how Christians sort of built themselves this little cultural ghetto of uh, you know we can't have all the we got to be separate from the world. And at first there was that tension of like, well, does that mean that we're just going to be basically, you know, Amish with respect to pop culture? Um, and then people being like, well, no, if we do that, none of the kids will want to be Christian. So we have to yes. be allowed to play some rock music. Yes. Um, and so then they're like, okay, well, we'll just have Christian rock music. And um, then there's Christian rap. Uh, with DC Talk, although that really didn't take off as much as rock music. Um, maybe because rock was more genteel by the time this was all going on um, than rap was. Um, That's true. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then eventually now, um, you know, you definitely end up with uh, with some uh people talking about explicitly christian stuff who have managed to cross over i mean so like striper who we talked before and i won't torment everybody with their music you can go listen to it but um a different song than the one i put on this playlist uh honestly was like a sort of ambiguously christian power ballad that got pretty popular in the 80s like if you uh if you ever watching late night tv and one of those uh infomercials comes on for like uh, where you can buy eight CDs worth of popular power ballads from the eighties. Yes. You know, uh, honestly by Striper is one of the songs that actually gets played during the commercial sometimes. Nice. Um, it's like, uh, you know, just classic adult contempo keyboards that then build to, a to a hair metal, uh, you know, denouement at the end. Um, but um, so, you know, you did have s- some crossovers, but now they're like actually good, clearly Christian people out there. And, you know, that's cool. I am not personally yeah. a Christian anymore, but uh, I'm glad that the, the Christian youth aren't totally bereft. Well, and, and I mean, it, it makes in the end, it makes sense. I mean, an artist could be uh, our every artist is influenced by their background, their, you know, their their faith is spirituality their intellect and you know if christianity is a part of all those things i mean it would be part of their art yeah and it's just it's it's interesting that 
even at this point, you know, we have some, there's tension and trouble in just accepting that, you know, Christian artists would just be part of the mainstream. Yeah. Um, without as any other artist with any other influence would be. Yeah. And of course, what's also interesting is that this is an extremely recent problem. Uh, Christian art was the entirety of the mainstream for 2000 or at least 1500 years. Um, uh, in our civilization and, um, you know, it was only starting in like the 19th century, really. I mean, maybe you could say with the enlightenment in the late 18th century that, uh, secular work started to, um, I mean, Shakespeare, there were obviously people like Shakespeare. It wasn't all Christian all the time, but there were at least, uh, Christian assumptions built into everything. And music was largely in particular was largely about Christian themes um, until, you know, 200, 250 years ago. And right. it was only, yeah, of course, uh, 60 years ago that it became de classe to have Christianity in your pop music. So, um, it's all pretty interesting. My last question for you is how does growing up with Christian music influence how you listen to music now? That's a good question. Um, you know, I mean, my tastes now are so much more adventurous than any of this stuff. Um, but, and I, you know, it's possible that there's still a little bit more of a rebel thrill to listening to like, uh, filthy gangster rap because, (laughs) right. (laughs) Because I had to break the bonds of non filthy, non gangster rap. Um, I would say that's probably the most direct influence I can think of. I guess I would, perhaps I could just propose that. I mean, if you were a very, you know, musically inclined person, someone who is going to love music, I mean, maybe no matter what music you were given to listen to when you were 13, you were going to get really into it or into some of it. Yeah. And that, that it doesn't really matter what that music is then eventually once you're an adult and free to find your own music all that matters is that you like learned that's that's astute like music that's astute actually because i mean so i didn't get into this earlier i mean when i got these dc talk albums like i listened to free at last uh it must have been hundreds of times i mean i got it along with my first cd player uh you know portable cd player and I listened to it so many times that I started to have to listen to it on shuffle. You know, it's like, like, uh, right. you know, Hugh Hefner needing Viagra to, uh, maintain interest, <laughs> um, <laughs> which listening to things on shuffle, I guess people like playlists now. This is something else we can get into another time is how we listen to music now, which is, I actually like listening to whole albums still now, which is totally unfashionable. Um, yes. but, uh, um, yeah. Uh, I definitely listened to the shit out of all this stuff because like you said, uh, the music bug was in me and, um, I was going to take sort of the best music available, whatever that turned out to be. And, uh, DC talk was there for me at the time, man. So I can't totally hate, hate yeah. on them. Right. And, uh, yeah. And it's not, 
it's not like you can dispute the results <laughs> of eventually liking awesome music and you can now admit that DC Talk sucks. <laughs> sucks so uh, bad. Uh, yes. We should we should give props to Toby who had a number one album on all char- on like the regular Billboard charts uh, last year or the year before. Wow, uh, which mostly tells you something about how bad the music industry is nowadays. Oh, <laughs> that I look forward to never listening to that. I'd listen to it, and it's unless I. It's better than his work with DC Talk, <laughs> but uh, not good. <laughs> Maybe I'll hear it if I. Um, you know, get stabbed in the parking lot of a Hobby Lobby and have to like wander inside and they're like playing it in there. That's, I, I think that would be the one way that I would encounter. Yeah. Uh, the bad news by Toby from DC talk. The bad news is that this story definitely ends with you becoming born again. So, uh, <laughs> in the Hobby Lobby. Yeah. As you, well, die. you know, <laughs> I, I guess the good news is uh, after that, I'll think it's a good story. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, Joe. Um, all right. Um, well, this was this was fun. Yeah, I learned a lot. Thanks, everybody. I listened to a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I thank you for uh, introducing me to all this music that I most of which I will just be so glad I never listened to again. <laughs> uh, yes, that is that is also how I will feel. Should about most should of we? Do you want to share this? Yeah playlist share the playlist publicly i will absolutely and it's um, it's well yeah. you could change the name to savage beast christian rock yes that's perhaps. what we'll do yes um, so look for it on spotify sounds good you yeah and yes. we'll radar, um yeah sorry we're talking over each other radar radar podcast five stars on itunes subscribe uh-huh and uh us tweet at us yes savage beast pod and our website savagebeastpod.com right yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it'll be up any day. All right. Any day. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Peace.